This is episode number 559 with Bozma St. John. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. A brand for a company is like a reputation for a person. You earn reputation by trying to do hard things well. It's by Jeff Bezos. And today we've got Bozma St. John on, who is the chief brand officer at Uber as of June 2017. And previously, she was a marketing executive at Apple Music, where she came over from Beats. And before that, she was at PepsiCo, heading their music and entertainment marketing. She has been listed on Billboard Magazine's list of the top women in music, Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People, and Adweek's Most Exciting Personalities in Advertising. She was awarded Executive Woman of the Year by Billboard Music in 2016, and I had a blast connecting with Bose here in the studio in Los Angeles. And what we covered are why she left Apple Music to head up branding at Uber, how to cultivate your intuition, the big mistakes that brands make once they are successful, the true power of marketing, and why people will forgive anything you do if you ignite their passion. This one's all about her story, how she's built massive brands, and how she's managed brands that maybe have gone through some periods of dislike in the public space. And before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the fan of the week. This is from Blake Sales, who says, you won't regret listening to this podcast. The various topics and interviews with other respected individuals will make a difference in your life, and you will continuously want to utilize them as a resource to be more well-rounded individual. Thank you for making a difference in so many people's lives. So Blake Sales, thank you for being the review of the week. And if you guys want a chance to be shouted out on the podcast, then make sure to leave a review over on iTunes right now or on the podcast app that you're listening to and get a chance to be a shout out for the week. All right, guys, I think you're going to love this one. A powerful story, powerful conversation, and powerful human being. Give it up for the one, the only, Bozma St. John. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits like four times membership rewards points that adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year and up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back, and there are no fees, period. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
So many of us love coffee, like the living for it type of love. Some like it hot, some like it iced with a splash of creamer, and some like it with a cold foam topping. Many of us stop into coffee shops on our way to work more often than we'd like to admit. But now, thanks to International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, you can make cold foam coffee at home, or in my team's case, in the office, and it's a game changer. I was just chatting with a teammate of mine about our love for the occasional sweet treat coffee. Sometimes it's just the thing you need as a pick-me-up on a busy day. And we just stocked our office fridge with International Delight Cold Foam Creamer, and it never misses. The team's favorite flavor so far is the Caramel Macchiato. You just shake the canister and spray it into your coffee, and voila, you've got an incredible cold foam coffee, no frothing, fancy machines, or mess required. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer foams and creams your coffee from top to bottom. The best part, it works on both hot and iced coffee. It comes in three foaming, delicious flavors, French vanilla, sweet and creamy, and caramel macchiato. So you can switch things up depending on your mood. Look for your favorite flavor next time you're at your grocery store and be prepared to say goodbye to your barista. International Delight Cold Foam Creamer. It's foaming delicious. Welcome everyone back to the School of Greatness podcast. We have Bo St. John in the house. Yay! Good to see you. Hi. I'm very excited. <laughs> Our mutual friend Lacey connected us. Yes. She was hounding me. She said, you got to know who this person is. You got to have her on. I didn't know who you were <laughs> until she was like sending me every video about you. She was and obsessive. Every- yeah, she was like, no, this is my queen, right? Gosh. She was like obsessed with you. I said, okay, let me let me start digging in deeper. <laughs> and I watched some of your videos and, and heard more of your story and was just like, okay, yeah, we need mm. Bo's in the house. So I'm excited that you're here. Yay. Congrats on everything that you've you know you've achieved and the oh. impact you've made and the barriers you've broken through in the business world. It's really cool. Yeah. And you're originally from Ghana, right? And you, yes. Or you lived in Ghana for a number of years. Yes, yes. My parents are from Ghana. Parents are from Ghana. I was born in the U.S. Born in the U.S., but then you moved when you were young to yeah, Ghana. Yeah, six for, months old. Yeah. So I had no recollection right, <laughs> right. of my time in the U.S. before Ghana. Yeah. So that's why I claim that I'm from Ghana. Got it. Because that's where my earliest memories are yeah. from. And, and when did you move back? Oh, well, there were a series of things that happened along the way. When I was five, my dad was in parliament and the government of Ghana yeah. for a president named Hila Liman, who was overthrown in 1982 in a coup d'etat. And my dad was thrown into political, um, political detention. Mm. So we had to flee the country. My mom, who was pregnant with my youngest daughter, uh, youngest daughter, my youngest sister, yeah, yeah. and my two other younger sisters. So she had three young children, six and under, and pregnant. How old were you? I was six. Six, wow. Yeah. And so we came to the U.S. to Washington, D.C., political asylum. Wow. And then we were in the U.S. for about a year. My dad was released. He joined us here. But he's always been very politically active. And so he wants to return to Africa, although we couldn't go back to Ghana. So we went to Nairobi, Kenya, where we were for about three years until it became democratic in Ghana again. And then we went back. Wow. How long in Kenya? Three years, you said? Yeah, about three years in Nairobi. My first, I went to a private boarding school in eighth grade, uh-huh. and, and I was in a, in a middle school boys' dorm, and uh-huh. my first roommate was from Kenya. Really? He spoke like seven languages, Swahili, Kikuyu, like all these yeah, languages. This is what I'm saying. Yes. It was I mean, crazy. This is the thing. Is it like, you know, I think there's, there's such a crazy misperception about Africans, but it's really an Afropolitanist, yeah. is what I call it, yeah. because you are required, you know, to know so much about crazy. the world. 
And because of colonization, you have people who speak Portuguese and yes, French yes. and a lot English, of French. obviously. A lot of French. A lot of French. And there's lots of Indian immigrants, lots mm-hmm. of Lebanese immigrants, mm-hmm. lots of Korean immigrants. So you end up, first of all, the cultures all mesh together. Yeah. And then language. So you have people who speak like seven languages. It's crazy. They have nothing to do with their native language, by the way. Right. How many <laughs> do you speak? I speak three. Three languages. Yeah. Two native and then one. Got it. Got it. Well, obviously English. Amazing. Okay, so yeah. you're, you moved to <laughs> Kenya and then you came back. Yeah, then we went back to Ghana when I was almost 10. And then we moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado when I was almost 13. And that is where I feel like my formative years really took shape. So when people ask me where I'm from, I usually say I'm bicultural, uh-huh. that I'm Ghanaian. But I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Right, right. Yeah. That's when you learned the most probably about yourself. Yes. And started to like... Yes. Things started crystallizing. Yeah, yeah. My character started getting sharpened. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> in Colorado Springs. But you're probably like, you know, it's mostly like just white people, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like just stood oh, out, right? Oh, mostly. Dude, it or was everyone. everyone. You're like, <laughs> literally yeah. everyone. Did you go to public school, private school? Yes, I went to public school. Uh-huh. Yeah, Liberty High School. What was go that Lancers. like? What was that like? And were you this kind of personality when you were... Yeah. yeah. I've always been pretty loud. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Use your voice. Yes, yes. Pretty outgoing, uh-huh. always. Except that, I mean, when I came, I mean, it was really tough. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. going to pretend like, sure. you know, everything was roses. There were a lot of well meaning and well intentioned people, not just the kids, the teachers, people at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. But just uneducated. Not educated at all. You know, didn't have a world perspective, which was actually shocking to me, right? Because again, my feeling is like, okay, you're in Africa. You are expected to have a world perspective. There's all kinds of people running around. You're speaking all kinds of different languages. And then you come to the place where it's supposed to be like the better world, the better place. And people have never left. My classmates didn't have passports. Yeah. Probably you never know, left I, the state, right? No. Didn't really have a good sense of the world outside of Colorado Springs. They didn't even have a sense of the world outside Denver. And so they were very much in their own world. And that's why, like, I'm not angry about whatever that I went through because I just didn't know any better. I want people to know better. (laughs) I want people to have more exposure. I think, obviously, technology has helped us out a lot with that because this was 1989 where it's like what you were listening to was on the TV and on the radio and then you went to the mall. You know, there wasn't a lot of exposure. No, No, there's nothing to give you a broader view than whatever's being fed to you. Newspaper, magazine, TV. Yeah. Yeah. All they saw were naked kids with like, you know, Sally Struthers and like distended bellies. Yeah. From Africa. Yeah. From Africa. They didn't know that there were skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or that people drove luxury vehicles. They had no clue. And so there was a lot of involuntary teaching (laughs) that I had to do making sure that like my classmates understood why I had a sense of pride, that I wasn't embarrassed. Because then, you know, you're 12, and so there's a lot of teasing going on, sure. and people making fun of you and stuff. W- what were the big challenges you faced in high school then? Besides the uh, ignorance or uneducated peers, but yeah. were there, was there anything else underneath that? Yeah, there was a lot of racial tension. Really? Yeah. I was also coming into my own, and so I really, I was trying to form my own opinions on race and class and sexual orientation. It was also around the time when Matthew Shepard was beaten to death. In fact, 
that incident changed even my relationship with religion because my parents were college Springs is, is a hotbed for evangelical Christianity. Sure. So we went to a mega church, you know, one of those where it's like three services, each service is like, like 7,000 people, yeah, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. It's like Joel Osteen style. Te- oh yeah. Pastor Ted was our guy. He sat on the pulpit and preached a message of hate the day that, uh, the weekend that Matthew Shepard was killed. It was interesting because even then, even though I didn't, I didn't really have a good sense of, I mean, I didn't know anybody who was gay or openly gay in my high school. Or, really? No, I, you know, my, so my parents. Before it became kind of popular or Yeah, yeah. Before, I think before it was, it was more open, right? And my parents definitely did not talk about that kind of thing in my house. But what I knew was what I was feeling as Pastor Ted stood on the pulpit and condemned this young person. Person who was my age, who had been beaten to death. He made him wrong. Oh yeah. Oh, oh wow. yeah. He made him wrong. Really? He made him the enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's not good. Oh, whew, dude, it was not good at all. But this is like crowd thing too, right? People were applauding and cheering, and the crowd was, ah, you know, and it's like seven thousand people who were screaming. And think about it. He did that three times that day. And oh so my when gosh. I got home, I mean, I was just shaken, you know, and I knew I didn't want to go back to the church. How old were you then? I was. I don't know, 16 probably. And my dad was a deacon. My mom like ran the Sunday school. The whole thing. We sat in the front row behind his wife and his kids. You were embedded in a church. Yeah, it's like, you know, so the decision the next Sunday to be like, I don't feel that good. (laughs) I I I just just want to say, and then the second week, "Mm, I don't know if I feel it. You know, it became a real problem with me and my parents. So how did you have the courage to kind of open up at 16 of like, hey, I don't believe or I don't feel comfortable with this type of yeah. thinking the way you guys have lived your entire life? Yeah. Or- I definitely could not have articulated it then, what it meant or what I was feeling. All I knew was that I hated the way that people, I didn't like the like feeling of blood vengeance, you know what I mean, in the church. And I knew it made me feel uncomfortable and scared. It was very similar to sometimes how I felt like even in the classroom, where it's like if people don't feel like you're an other, how they can gang up on you. I knew that that feeling was not great (laughs) and I didn't want anything to do with it. Sure. So at that point, I was just like, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to be in that space. And like I said, I mean, I was volunteering at Sunday school. I was right. part of the youth group. You were singing. You, know, you, were, oh, yeah. you were playing piano. I was playing piano. Choir, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I had a tambourine. You know, like I had the whole thing going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And so I stayed at home. Really? From then on, you never From went then back? On, I or? never went back. I and never went what back. What was that like with your parents? Or Oh, terrible. Convincing them? or Nope. You know, my dad said I was an embarrassment. My mom was more understanding. But, you know, my dad, he just, he just, he, you know, he just felt like he was embarrassed his oldest daughter mm-hmm. should be leading the example not yes set an example especially when you're african you know what i mean it's like you set the example for the rest of your siblings and everything whether it's sports or academics or boys religion you know you have to be the best that way they can follow your lead and so if i'm staying home and being like no i'm not doing that then imagine what happens right you end up causing riots in your own house <laughs> Acts of defiance. But I just couldn't do it, man. I don't know. I can't really even articulate it now, but I knew that that was it. I just, I couldn't go back. Wow. And were you able to cool things off with your father or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually we just found, I mean, I only had two years left to go. Right. So you're like, ah, I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. out of there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just sort of avoided the subject. Yeah, like yeah. all functioning families. It's like great teenagers do, Correct. right? <laughs> we just decide not to speak about it. 
<laughs> just like ignore it altogether. What would you say is uh, one of the biggest challenges you went through then growing up, whether it be internally or through external issues or challenges yeah. from being in Africa or being in D.C. or being mm. in Colorado Springs? Or was there anything that you feel like kind of defined yeah. and shaped you? There's a couple of things. One, like, of course, now in retrospect, I can look back and say, wow, you know what? Like I had to stand up tall because I am tall and I'm so different. And now it's almost like a blessing because I'm clearly facing the same thing in Silicon Valley now where it's like, oh, okay, you're, you're one. <laughs> you know, there's no, you look around, there's no one else who looks anything like no, you. you know? No, you're one of a kind. And so I've already been through that, so it's not scary. I don't feel fear in that, right, or being other. But it took me a long time to, like, find self-love just because, like, when you're faced with not being the object of desire or beauty or you're not anywhere near the epitome of what it should be it takes a long time i think as you know as a teenager as a kid as a young woman coming into your own it takes a long time to then discover that oh yeah no no i'm i'm beautiful in my own way you know that like being this tall and this dark and this that and that you know it's like that's okay i am okay i don't have to be these other things in order to be accepted that that was tough. Mm. That was hard. It's hard being a teenager. Oh my god! And trying to like it's the worst. Oh, it's awful. The teenager is the worst <laughs> for me. Are the miserable. worst. Oh my god, they're so miserable. I'm really excited when I meet young women who either are struggling with their own sort of worth and being and coming into you know their own because you feel so awkward anyway. And if you're in any kind of situation in which you feel other, you're just looking for connections. Looking for anything. To fit in. To, to fit feel. in anything. And so even for me, like, I feel like those years helped also strengthen need for, like, storytelling and communication. I feel like I really have been groomed for the career I've had because of that. I had to become the instant source of everything cool. I had to know it better than anyone. Because then right? you were, like, so accepted, yeah, because, so then, because then you're the cool kid. You know, then everybody wants to be your friend, right? If you know the latest fashion, you know the latest music, you know the, all the sports info. Dude, I, I was an encyclopedia. Wow. Like, yeah. Before Google. Oh. You were Google. Let me tell you something, okay? I wish I'd been a Google, all right? <laughs> okay? I'd have been on that, like, do 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 Yeah. Let me figure out what I need to know about whatever sports scores. No, you had to actually do the work. Wow. I had to watch all the games. <laughs> I had to listen to- Read the newspapers, yes, like everything Magic else. FM, 24-7, read all Team Beat. Spent all my time at the mall. You had to get the information in any way possible so that at school, I could be the source of all the info. Be the coolest kid around. Mm. What would you say is your greatest gift now? Probably my intuition. It, that's also been crafted over time. How did you cultivate that? Lots of failure. <laughs> Lots of not trusting it. Mm -hmm. It's the feeling regardless of where you are. You know, it's not just about like work or whatever. It's about people. Like meeting somebody and being like, that person ain't right. Mm. And it doesn't matter who they are. Because, you know, this always happens, right? It's like somebody introduces you to somebody, oh, you know, they're super amazing because they've done blah, 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 blah. And they're like bragging on this person and you meet them and you're like, Sums off. I don't think so. And knowing that that is actually okay, that you should listen to it and back up. Don't go forward with this person because something ain't right. I don't know what it is, but something ain't right. And so I've got to listen to that. It also works for jobs. Every time I have ignored it, it has been bad. Miserable jobs, right? 
miserable situations or like just in general. I feel like just being able to trust it and it comes in various ways, whether it's like that feeling of an ease or it's like that little voice or just something. And it's different for everybody. But for me, I've tried to hone it so that now I react more quickly and I don't question it any longer. Really? In every situation, even in, in like intimate relationships or... Every situation, everything. Really? Yeah, it comes down to interviews, everything. Well, well yeah. I'm, I'm glad you had the intuition <laughs> to come in here. I'm going to walk out on me right away. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, but if I, no, but the truth be told, if I'd walked in here and felt like there was some uh, I weirdness, oh, no, I'd just be like, hey, listen, this ain't, this ain't happening today. I appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing, but I got to go. Wow, have oh, you yeah, done that before? Oh, I have. Oh, yeah. No way. No, I have. Hands, yes. For like press or interviews or whatever. Yes, that's right. Yeah, because you know what? You can tell. I, and I know it won't work out. It won't work out in my favor for sure. It might work out for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so why am I sacrificing myself? No, uh-uh, no. Before, like, I would feel bad and I would need to like try to explain. Now folks need explanation. It might also be because I turned 40 and now I give like, like zero don't care. Yeah, yeah. So if I don't feel it, I don't feel like I need to excuse it to anybody. Wow. That is not for me. Thank you. I'm off to do this. Right. <laughs> now, did you always know that you were going to be executive at a big brand and kind of like no. shaping culture at these different brands? Nope. I thought I was going to be a doctor. Really? Yes. An obstetrician, specifically. Well, tell me what that is. I'm ignorant. That's a person who births babies. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've never given them out of babies, so that's why right. I don't know that. Yeah. I have. Yes. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, that's I what had, you wanted like, to do? What? That's high school, what I wanted to do or? in high school. Well... I mean, again, because of the influence of African parents, there were three careers I could go into. It was like... Lawyer, doctor. Engineer. Engineer. Yes. Do you, know, do you have African parents? Are you? No, no, no. you don't. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's fine. But anyway. kind of like Asian very, parents, yeah. African parents. It's like... Why is it? Why are those the careers? Like, why is it's that? It's the safe. It's the, like, credible. It's, like it's the, the one, yeah. They made it. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. It's a badge of honor, I guess. And so I chose doctor because I was good at sciences and math. And, you know, again, because of where I was, I think I was given, like, some sort of extra praise, you know, because it was like, I was a lone black girl. Oh, and I was super smart at, like, science and math. It was like, whoa, oh, my God, this person that doesn't exist. You yeah, know, yeah, it was yeah. like, ah. Unicorn. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, my God. And so it felt like that's what I should be doing. And so that's where I just went. When did that shift? In college. I went to college pre-med, took a full course load in the sciences. I was a biology major. And then I took a class my freshman year called African-American Studies because there was a guy in there that was real hot. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Followed him to that class. Like, okay, cool. And then the professor was so amazing. This guy, Ashraf Rushdie. Incredible professor. And it just opened up my mind. I mean, again, coming from Colorado Springs, there was, there was no African-American anything being taught anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> and so I walk into this class and it was like, it wasn't just history. It was literature, it was poetry. Music. Everything. Yeah, it was like, yeah. The, it was just culture. It was mind blowing to me. I forgot the guy. I was like, true, what you guy? fell in love with something else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. And then it was like the gateway drug. <laughs> Catalyst. <laughs> yeah, the catalyst. Because it just opened up to other things. There was an American Studies professor who I also really liked a lot, Karichi, who was also teaching things about culture, but American culture. So now it's like not just African American culture. How did African American culture impact American culture? How did Asian culture impact American culture? How did immigrants? There was just it was such a confounding thing to me to think about American culture and how that would all come together based on all these inputs and over time. And also at the time, Tupac had been killed. Mm. 
He was my favorite artist. Oh, yeah. I knew California everything. Love. I mean, come on. Hey, ambitious as a rider. You know what I mean? We could go, we could go toe to toe. Okay. You don't, you don't want to battle me today. Okay. I'm, I'm not even going to try. Don't, don't worry. Don't, don't even do you it. You know much more about don't me. Don't even do it. Okay. Culture, music, everything. <laughs> I can African dance, though. I've been doing some African dancing. You know what? Don't make it's me like, challenge you. It's like almost like the chicken I dance, right? It's like that. You, I swear to you, listen. <laughs> I've got video push, of me doing it. We will push this table away and get, no, in fact, we'll get on the table. Okay? Exactly. Yeah. And battle it out. <laughs> My career not only requires me to travel, but also gives me the freedom to. Traveling has brought me so many positive experiences and memories. Like that time I spent the holidays at an Airbnb in Big Bear with some of my extended family, and it was the perfect way to come together and connect with my family that I don't see that often. If you have a similar setup that allows you to travel often, have you ever thought about your empty home while you're gone? More specifically, how you can make some extra money by keeping your home occupied while you're out of town. I'm a big advocate for setting up a side hustle to give Give you an extra stream of income and Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start. Many people host on Airbnb, including some friends of mine, but there are some people out there who've never even realized their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you've got yourself an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which is crazy to think about because that means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while clearly a lot of things have changed since 1877, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. I mean, I think we all grew up with Quaker in our household. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different forms flavors and varieties, one of my faves for a quick breakfast. And whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber, Quaker Oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even Quaker Fruit Fusion with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats in your local grocery store. Isn't it obnoxious when companies have those sneaky gotchas? hiding deep in the fine print or bills that seem to go up for no dang reason? Like when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying even more than you would have elsewhere? At Metro by T-Mobile, there's nada yada yada. That means no contracts, no price hikes, no surprises. They don't even want me to speed through the legal, so here it is. When they say no price hikes when you join, they mean your price will never increase for talk, text, and smartphone data plans. Their only exclusions are for limited time promos, per-use charges, and third-party services. I guess that really is nada yada yada. At Metro by T-Mobile. Nada yada yada. But anyway, so I heard that there was a class being taught at USC on Tupac. Uh, basically using his lyrics as like poetry, you know, like his his lyrics as a sign of the times. And you're going to USC this whole time? No, I was going to Wesleyan University. I was in Connecticut. Wow. Way on the other side of the country. And you heard about a class I heard in about USC. a class being taught at USC on Tupac. You know, it was in the moment. Like he had just been killed. I was grieving and like, everything. I have to take this. Yeah. And, wow. and so I, I tried to see if I could, like I went to the dean, tried to see if I could do like a, I don't know, some sort of, transfer class or something like could i like listen in when like get credits so pre-online courses yeah pre 
You know what? We can tell these youngins how good exactly, they have it. You know what I'm right? saying? Yeah. Pre-online classes, man. So they said no. Then I was like, ooh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have Karichi, who is my American studies professor, teach the class. No way. So I, I made a proposal. I took it to him. He said no. And then he said, here's what we do. He was like, if you create, he's like, you've already created the syllabus. You've already created it. He was like, if you teach it, Shut I up. will support you. And you can get credit as well as get other students to get credit. And I was like, You taught the class? For three semesters. Shut up. Yeah. You taught? Yeah, with the waiting list. Man, listen, I was popping. Wow. Yeah. As what, junior, senior, or what? I was a, so I taught it both semesters of junior year and the first semester of my. They let a student teach yeah, class. Teach a class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I petitioned, and it was incredible. I think everybody knew I was serious because I was so committed and I really had done my work and my research. Because you probably talked first, to the teacher and, and, oh, and you see and you're like, what's the outline? What's yes. The, yeah. Oh my God. I did everything. I wrote letters. I corresponded with the students who took Collect the class. Collect calls, pagers, everything. Dude, you know, everything. you're beeping people. Okay. I was, yes. At 411. Yes. Okay. Like I was in the, the codes, all of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the hallway phone would ring and I'd run to it and be like, hello. It's close. You know, it's about Tupac class. It was so nuts. I think at first, probably the students thought like this would be fun and easy because it's a class on hip hop, which yeah. there were no, there were zero Nothing. classes like that. Plus, it's like a fellow student who's teaching it. Oh, it's going to be a piece of cake. And it was a night. It was going to be a good time. But no, we were being very serious about this and thoughtful. And I would say that it took maybe all of like two weeks before we were in. I mean, and we had some of the most dynamic conversations. Wow. It became more than just about the lyrics. It became the dialogue around what was happening in the country. You know, what would cause this very culturally aware, politically savvy young man to then speak primarily about a culture because he, he's actually putting himself in a situation in which he actually didn't come from. You know, I think people forget that. Think like, oh, okay, he was just a thug on the corner selling drugs. No, that's not Tupac. His parents were Black Panthers. And so to think that, okay, he had a voice, he was choosing to be the voice for a group of people that were unheard, you know, became what I thought was worthy of academic discourse. So Wow. Yeah, so that we'll must talk about have been for a long time. Incredible. <laughs> the things you probably learned about yourself from oh, being a student man. to now a teacher to it was so great. It really was so great. A great, great time. And so you decided after that, okay, no longer yeah, going into that was being it. a doctor, that was like it. I'm going into what? I don't know. I didn't have a name for it. <laughs> I did graduate as pre-med. I applied to med schools, got in. I was on my way, but I'd also taken African-American studies as a major and English. So I was carrying three majors. Now I only claim African-American studies in English. When people ask me, like, what I graduate, because I'm just like, the biology, like, seriously, sure, sure. I'm not even Doesn't interested. Matter. I don't even talk about school because I was I barely mean, even went to class, you know. <laughs> I just went to get good enough grades to play football. <laughs> See, okay. And I took me seven, almost seven and a half years to graduate. Oh, right. And I went to like okay. three different schools, transfer around a bunch. Wow. Dude. And uh, have a sports marketing degree or whatever, sports management. I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, but amazing. I don't even use what I learned from yes. there. It's like, yeah. But isn't that the truth though? I don't, I don't feel like, you know, unless you're in some sort of like technical field. Yeah. I feel like college is a time, just like we're talking about, to discover who you are, what you want to do, who you want to be, you know, really sharpen your analytical and mm -hmm. cultural thought yeah and apply that for me it was learning like just social skills just yes. understanding human well, beings yeah. and understanding how to 
really enroll people in an idea, which is what mm-hmm. it sounds like you did. Yeah. You're like, I need to enroll my pef- professor. I need to enroll the school. Yes. I need to enroll this other school to give me the information. I need to yep. enroll students in this vision that you had. Right, right. And you enrolled people. Yeah. You, you learned what made people tick, what yeah. made people do say yes, say no, and you made it happen, yeah. which is the ultimate skill. Well, en- enrollment, getting yeah, people connected yeah, to a yeah. bigger and vision. engaging them yeah. in, a, in a thought, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. And it's so funny because when I was graduating, I mean, my parents were, you know, super proud because I graduated, like I said, pre-med. I was on Top my way. To me. Yeah. Like I, everything was fine. I partied really hard. It's great. And so I had that going for me, like on my own notches on the belt type of situation, sure, you know, sure. where I felt really good. So I came out of college feeling hella confident. Mm-hmm. I own this world. Oh, yeah. I was <laughs> like, socially, I got this. Academically, I got this. You can't tell me nothing. And so I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to move to New York City because I can. Because uh-huh. why not? And my parents were like, okay, you could do that for a year and then you're going to school. Right. You know? And so I was like, all right, great. By the way, thank God it wasn't today. Like I would have definitely talked myself out of that. I just didn't know that anything bad could happen to me. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I just thought I was the greatest. The greatest thing that ever happened. I was super smart. Plus I was like socially savvy. What could possibly go wrong? What happened? Oh, dude. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> so you moved there on your own? Yeah, I moved there on my own. Where did you move to? Like Astoria, Brooklyn, friend. Queens? I moved to Harlem. Okay. Yeah. Because I had one friend. She graduated the year before me, and she was going to Columbia Film School. Oh, wow, nice. And so she right had a Harlem. dorm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she had a dorm room or like a dorm apartment yeah, yeah. that she shared with somebody else. And so she said I could sleep on her couch until I found a job. I thought I was going to walk into New York City and get a job right away. What? Look at me. Like, yeah, yeah. Of course I'm, I'm going to win. And yeah. I don't understand why somebody wouldn't give me a job. Sure. Oh, three and a half months later, I'm still like looking for work on the couch and she's getting annoyed. The roommate definitely hates me. Oh my gosh. I have no money. My dad is definitely not sending me any kind of checks. I've made friends with the little bodega on the corner and this restaurant called El Floridita, which is on the corner of 125th. Floridita. Yes. Oh my God. This little like Dominican place. Salsa dancing. Dude. Like, I've been every- there. What? I've salsa you- danced there. You know what? I can't even take it. I'm about to get up and leave. What are you salsa. talking about? I lived in New York City serious? for a year and a half when I used to salsa and answer all the spots. All the, with the green like awning? They all had the thing. green yeah, on the... Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. yeah, yeah. Yo, that was my spot. Yeah. I loved everybody in there with homies, okay? Yeah. Like, they fed me when I couldn't pay for it. That's good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like. Good. I didn't go there that I mean, much, was, but I used to know all the spots where they had salsa oh, dancing. Yeah. So yeah. But this is why I just I love when we think about like culture and connections with people and stuff like that. It didn't matter where I came from or that I'd gone to this super snobby school and thought I was like the biggest illest thing. You make connections with people and they they saved my life. They fed me. That's amazing. And actually, because I was in Florida. When the wonderful waitress, who had become like an auntie to me, uh-huh. was like, you need a job. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I'm trying to get a job. But I was like applying for these like highfalutin jobs that didn't make any sense. Now I look back on it and like, I laugh at myself. Yeah. You um, needed like an entry level. Yeah, I need like an entry level job. And she had like a niece or something who signed up with a temp agency. And so she was like, oh, you know, you sign up and basically, they'll, you know, you call them every night and they'll tell you where you need to go in the morning. Right. So it's like it's transient work, basically. But yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. yeah, whatever, whatever, anything. Pay me 50, 100 bucks a day. Whatever it doesn't it matter. Yeah. I was making zero money. So anything would have been good. So I walked in there 
they laughed at me because like I had like you know a great degree and like all these experiences. I you know speak language. They were just like, Professor, this yeah, is- they were like, what are you doing here? But they sent me out on jobs. I was a receptionist at a dog washing salon on the Upper East Side. I filed like National Geographic's at this one place for like two months, which was awful. Mm. I nearly lost my mind in mm. that one. God, I did so many little things. Oh, I was a, I was a, oh, what do they call them? When, um, you know, you're like serving at a party, you're wearing like the yeah, tux. like uh... Catering, catering. Yes. So I did that a few times, which by the way, I mean, all of these experiences it's like what now, every model does. Yeah, yeah right, right. Exactly. Cater. Except I was, you know, I was in the club though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out, out in those streets. <laughs> Get to know people and got all the clubs in New York then, which were just so fun and just crazy. I also made so many good friends at that time because all of like the assistants or people who were like entry level at their own places would like get you in to the party. So like my good friend, Moxa Fitzgibbons, who's now very senior at Complex Magazine, I met him that way. Wow. You know, where like I would go to their magazine release parties because they have one every month. Uh-huh. And, you know, pass our doors are free. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Open bar. Oh, yeah. So I go and eat there, right? It was great. That just hustling, just hustling to make it. And then one day I got the divine intervention, the call that it was like, okay, Spike Lee had fired his assistant and they needed me to go cover phones the next day. So it was. You were like, oh, this is my jam. I was like, like something like this. I was like, yeah, this is me. Yeah, this is made <laughs> for me. You know, so I go in there, I'm wearing like the only gray suit I own. I've pulled my hair back into like a severe bun. I'm wearing these little tiny pearls because I want to look professional. And I walk in there and he's like, they sent me Miss America. <laughs> That's literally what he said to me. Like, wow. I was like, wah, 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 like all shriveled down, you know, like, oh my gosh. you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired before I even answer the first phone. And he was like, who are you? You know, and I was like, oh, I'm Bozeman St. John. You know, I was like, it's an honor to meet you. That I just want to help. You know, like, where do, where do you want me? He's just like, just sit down, okay, and answer the phone. Wow. Because <laughs> here I thought I was going to be doing some big stuff, right? But that turned into a month of answering the phones. I was so getting coffee. So he come back the next day. Yeah, and, yeah, I got the dry cleaning. Anything, lunch for anybody in the office, everything. Whatever needed to be done. I mean, I was fixing the copying machine. I, anything that needed to be done, I was doing. Meanwhile, my dad is like calling me constantly and screaming, right? You have an Ivy League degree <laughs> yeah, and you you're doing? getting coffee. You know, he's so pissed. And then again, moment of divine intervention. Spike had just finished writing Bamboozled, one of his films that to me is is one of the greatest. I remember this. Yes, yes. Pieces of like, you know, just what racial conflict is like in America, yes. right? And what it means and all that. Very, very deep film. He finished writing it and he he threw it down on the desk and he was like, "Take a look at this." I didn't know any better. I thought he meant like mark it up because yeah, I was you know, I was an English major. And I mean, I was like, "Oh, let me just let me grab my red pen." Wow, you know what I mean? And I marked this thing up. Like, I marked it up. Now, like I literally could die sitting here and being like, "Here you go, hell? boss!" Like, like right? This is a month in, two months, or like yes, yeah, like six weeks in. Wow, like I've been getting the coffee in the dry cleaning. Wow, who do you think you are? You just walk in now, you're going to be marking up Spike Lee's script. Like, that's what you're going to do? But like, yeah, he came the next day. He's like, what'd you think of it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I made, I made some notes. And he was like, notes? You made notes on my script? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And so he like, he just shook his head. And I remember like, literally everyone snickering, you know, around. And I was like, oh my God, now I'm really going to get fired, you know? And he goes into his office. Like an hour later, he walks back out. He's just like, what do you do again? 
and that was it. That was it. I had a full-time job. No way. I got promoted. Yep, I had a little desk. Then I became like the assistant account executive. I didn't even know what the hell that was, but I told my dad I have benefits, you know? So <laughs> You're not a temp anymore, yeah. I was not a temp anymore. So I just continued to do anything he said. I helped out at the office and... He had started this advertising agency called Spike DDB, which was on Madison Avenue in connection with DDB Worldwide, the agency that Mad Men was based off of. So, you know, it's a big deal. New York City, you know, feeling real important. Now you're getting 35 grand a year and you're, oh, dude. you're feeling like. What, 35 grand? That's, dude, that was. What was it no, back then? It was like 26? 23. $23,000 a year, yeah. yeah. $23,000 a year. I remember my sister when she worked in New York City for a couple of years. I think it was around like 23, 26 yeah. grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Full time, 80 hours a week type Full-time. of. Full time. Yeah. All your good years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. So how long were you with Spike? Four years. Four years. I was there four years and it was such a great four years. Wow. We worked on so many ads because he was creating his ad agency and trying to, again, change the narrative of what was happening in advertising. So remember he did those Nike ads? He was, he was famous. I mean, it's one of the greatest campaigns Jordan of all time. Of all time. So he had turned that into his own pursuit, right? Where we did, obviously, spots with New York Knicks, as you can imagine, and Jaguar Cars and State Farm. And we did the Janet Jackson Velvet Rope Tour. You know, it was like all of these amazing things. And I had my hand in it, all he of it. He threw you in it and said, I need you to have creative oh, yeah. ideas. You yeah. want to work on these campaigns. Yeah. I was writing the briefs, writing the pitches. You wow. know, like just, again, wherever I could help, I was doing. And then the agents was trying to win the business for Pepsi. And Pepsi was going through a tough time and trying to find like the next talent, you know, because at, at the time it was like, OK, you're going to sign a big artist and they're going to be the face of your campaign. And like I said, I've been out in these streets partying a Hustling. lot. So yeah. you're seeing the upcoming and, talent. Oh, you're like, yeah, oh, this person yeah, yeah, yeah. is always popping. We were out there. Beyonce had just left Destiny's Child or she was thinking about it. And she'd also just done this film called The Hip Hopera, Carmen, The Hip Hopera on MTV. It was a TV film because she was trying to be an actress. Right. Uh-huh. She was trying to leave the. And, you know, like people weren't necessarily giving her, I mean, now it's like we sit back and we're like, oh, yeah, King B, like, nobody gonna doubt her, you know? But at the the time, it's like, think about it. It's like, how many successful solo acts had come out of groups like that? People were not giving her the credit she deserved. But I saw the hip hop route, which I thought was brilliant. I think it was like critically panned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I thought it was great, you know? Because like, think about like opera being interpreted through hip hop. To like a young audience, holy crap! Like that's it's kind of like Hamilton before its time. Oh, you know, it's kind of like yeah, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just so brilliant. And so we were in one of those creative sessions with Beyonce. No, not, not with Beyonce, Got just it. us. Like Spike and the rest of the team were talking about all these artists, and Pepsi did have her like on the short list of people they were interested in. But then in talking about it and going through, it was like, hey, like I just watched this hip hop right here. You know what I mean? And like I thought Beyonce killed it. You know, because she was Carmen. And so Spike watched it, and he was like, she should be Carmen in this spot. Like, that's that's what we should do. And he's going to direct it. We sold the campaign to Pepsi. Wow. And that was it. I was I was in life flint. You know what I mean? Wow. That was it. That was it. The rest is history. And so then you went over to Pepsi <laughs> after that, or were you still with Spike? Yeah, I did. I, well, I stayed they with Spike. They stole you or what? Yeah, I stayed with Spike for a while. But then, you know, like, my mind started playing tricks on me. Even then, I started to think... If I'm just relying on this pop culture stuff, people won't think I'm smart. So, and I was already feeling it. People weren't giving me my credit for like the small connections you make that turn into magic. Those ideas that, yeah, you know what creativity. I mean? yeah. Like it really takes talent and taste. It's not just like, oh, I guessed and it worked no, out. Yeah. This is freaking it was your intuition. It was everything. Yeah. Yes. It's all of those things. It's really smart. It's not luck. 
but I start to feel that, that like I wasn't being taken seriously. And like I said, you know, I'd been the smart kid in school always. I was like, oh, so now what? Like, I'm not smart because I'm doing this. So I quit. And this is one of those moments where I should have listened to my intuition because I tried. I went to this agency where I was supposed to work on smoking cessation. So, you know, like uh, the patch. Really? Nicorette and all of those, like the gums uh-huh. and things, because wow. it was pharmaceutical and that was really hard advertising. Only the smartest people went into that kind of advertising because, you know, you had to know the laws and you had to know all the things in order to create a message that could penetrate and still be legally viable. And so I went to do that. It was a disaster. Oh my gosh. Disaster. Three months in, I was done. It was finished. And so then. Yeah, I called my friends at Pepsi for advice, like, you know, because I'd made some friends along the way. Yeah, of course. I just wanted, like, advice on, like, what else to do. I wasn't actually thinking about Pepsi at all because my opinion of them were that they were all cut from the same cloth. They were all MBAs who went to the top 10 schools, came in as an intern class together, were promoted together. It was a club. Yeah. And I couldn't, I wasn't part of the club. I wasn't in and one of the guys that I've been really close to was like, would you consider working here? We think you'd be really, really great. We could use your perspective. And I was like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. I was like, this, is, this is look like I, I, can't, I can't do that. Yeah. And so I went in for like a series of interviews. The old white boys club or oh, whatever. Yeah. 100%. Right. They were all wearing like khakis and the blue button down shirts. shirts. Yeah. Oh, my God. I look not, I had a nose ring at the time. Nice. Like, it was not, I was not one of the yeah, peoples, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. But this again goes back to like my childhood. I've never been. So, so you fit right in. So I got there and the work was interesting. And so I was like, well, you know what? I've never been afraid before. So I'll give this a shot. Wow. What was the biggest lesson about working with Pepsi for you? I think it was the validation of knowing that pop culture can drive business. Mm. You know, that was the first time that I knew it for sure. Wow. This is not a game. You know what's interesting <laughs> is it seems like it drives business, but does it drive politics after what happened? Yes, of course it does. So I think this is an even bigger lesson now, today. Well, with all the, uh, the artists and celebrities endorsing yes. one party that didn't win, yep. does it yep. work? Yes, it does work because it's about how to focus the message. I think we forget that it's not actually about the artist, it's about the audience. Any brand or political organization that puts their money on the artist and forgets the audience is going to lose. Ah, so don't put it on the artist. Don't put it on the artist. The artist is a tool. Every other pop culture avenue, you have a a set of tools and you're going to use all of them to get to the audience. But as soon as you forget the audience, you're dead. So how do we remember the audience and deliver the message through an artist or an influencer or something like that? Because it always starts with them. It always starts with the audience. It's like, what do they want? What are they feeling? How are they behaving? You have to fill that void. And then you can fill that void by using an asset that they will listen to. Insert artists or insert platform or right. league or whatever. So did Hillary not have the right artists then? Or? No, no, no. She, she didn't pay attention to the audience. Hmm. So, no, because she had all the right artists. Right. Everybody. That's what I'm saying. She, she had me. She had all the right artists. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. She had you yeah, getting yeah. all the artists for her. Yeah. yeah. She had the artists, but she forgot about the audience. Yeah, but, I mean, she readily admits that as well. Right, right. You know, whereas Trump was firmly focused on the audience. Audience. And audience he had a clear first. message for the audience. Absolutely. He knew the gap and he talked to it. 
You know what feels good? Winning. And not just in sports. Like when your coffee's still warm once you reach your job site. Or when you finish a project days before the deadline and coming in under budget. That's claiming victory. You can even claim victory on your taxes by losing your current tax preparer and switching to H&R Block. And once you do, you'll start to feel like a tax champion. Because at Block, you'll have many ways to get your taxes done. You can walk in, make an appointment, or drop off your documents at a time that's convenient for you. You'll get 100% accuracy on your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their upfront transparent pricing, you'll know the price of your tax prep before you even get started. So make room on that trophy shelf and prepare to tax like a champion this tax season at H&R Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. Disclaimer, all tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com guarantees. You can't always trust your gut. Like those times when it tells you to have that extra piece of cake or when it tells you to skip your morning routine and sleep in another hour. Probiotics can't help with most of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Ritual invested in a study modeling the human colon, which showed their symbiotic plus significantly increased microbial diversity and the growth of beneficial bacteria. Rigorously tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. Personally, I love Ritual's Symbiotic Plus because it keeps my gut feeling balanced and it's super convenient. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com slash greatness. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash greatness for 20% off. Mm. Win. I mean... That's it. That's it, you know? And it, I know it's like now it sounds easy or making it very simple and it's hard to do that. And he executed oh, with man. his conviction Mercilessly. day after day day after and day. stood by his vision. All of it. All of it. He did use also pop culture to drive the message. So it's not as if he didn't, but he had the message for the gap that the audience was looking for. You know, and even though, and that's the thing is that even though we can look at it and say, okay, well, that's a very small audience, but how powerful when you engage an audience that is movable. You know what I mean? Even if they're tiny. I think that's, again, what we forget. We're like, oh, okay, well, there's this little niche. They're not powerful. No, they're very powerful if you engage them. If you strike their passion or their emotion, they will move. They'll do anything you say without question. They'll forgive you for anything. Everything. Anything. Kill people. Yes. <laughs> forgive whatever, you. whatever. You know, and that that's the power wow. of great marketing is that you will actually be forgiven. The wrongs will be overlooked because people feel like you've connected in some way. Wow. Yeah. What is the key to building a, a great brand, in your opinion, and really making an impact on the audience you're serving? And- yeah. Yeah. And have it just like grow exponentially and just like, what are all those elements that you've seen? I mean, it seems like you're the, the top. Mean, you've been in so many different brands, part of so yes. many campaigns, so many yeah. different sectors, seen all the biggest celebrities build yeah. their brand. Well, in addition to the audience, I think you also have to start with the brand truth. You really can't make it up. You can't go get somebody else's truth and then pretend it's yours. Yeah. So it has to start with some brand truth. So how does someone create that? 
Is that like a mission statement you mean or yeah, kind of it's like, like a, a mission statement this but is what we it's stand also just for. like understanding the brand itself. You know what what role does it play in the world? Because when a brand launches it has no brand presence. But then it becomes something to people. And I think part of the challenge is actually listening to what it has become instead of wishing for what you want it to be. Mm, cuz the audience may take it somewhere on its own. Yes. The customers, the Correct. clients. They have they have already created something. So then you got to actually listen to that thing. You may not like it. But you've got to listen to it and then figure out how to create messaging so that you warm them to maybe evolve the conversation. But first, you've got to embrace it. Go ahead and give it a big bear hug. Mm. Okay, this is, this is what the audience believes this brand is about. And then work through that. So at Pepsi, it was like, okay, do was... Which Pepsi owns? Yes. Yeah. Is the brand for the crazy white boy. Yeah, yeah. The one who's jumping off roofs. Yeah, yeah. The alternative, off mountains. Like, yeah. He's doing all kind of, he's got insurance. He's doing yeah, yeah. all kind of crazy shit. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? The BMX or the skateboarder. The, all yeah, yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, interestingly enough, there was a time, actually right when I started, when there was an urban myth that was released, that yellow dye number five, which is the key dye ingredient of Mountain Dew, would shrink your package if you uh-huh. drank it. Yes, I remember this. I yeah. mean, one of the best like counter-marketing tactics of all time right like it should if it's not already a case study it should be like wow. it's it's brilliant yeah yeah almost killed the business i can imagine because everyone's like uh <laughs> He's no like, guys want to drink i'm not gonna drink this you know uh, i'm gonna go get sprite but the thing is that yeah but the thing is that the brand truth was not just about like the crazy white boy but that like this beverage would give you a boost of testosterone if you were that guy who people was walking believed around, it they believed that believed it just got to lean into that belief. You may not like it, but you got to lean in there. And then the solution was that looking at what other audiences also believe that kind of thing and what are their expressions of it. So for black men, what did that mean? Maybe they weren't jumping off the side of the mountain, but what were they doing to express that extra testosterone? Mm-hmm. And then go to that thing, yeah. right? And make that make do part of that message. Wow. It's not the same for Pepsi. You couldn't, you couldn't take Pepsi there. Pepsi does not belong. Pepsi belongs with Britney Spears. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And all the other pop. Twain. Oh, yeah, you know. all of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Pepsi's having a good time. Yeah, yeah. They don't want any kind of danger. No. You know what I mean? Drinking maybe champagne. Yeah, yeah. Not drinking Hennessy. Yeah, you know what I'm exactly. <laughs> we all know that person. So, again, I think that regardless of the brand that I've worked on, it's about accepting the brand truth and then leaning towards that thing mm. and cultivating some goodness out of it. Because there is good. In all of the brand truths, you know, you just have to uncover it and then move your audience to accept whatever evolution you're trying to get to, yeah. right? Because they got to trust you first. Right. And so you were at Pepsi for a few years and then was yeah, it Beats after that or was it? Yeah, I went from Pepsi to Beats. Really? How did that relationship work with Jimmy and Dre? And yeah. How did they either find you or you find them or whatever? They found me. So I was going through the toughest personal experience. Uh, my husband what? had been diagnosed with cancer six months, or he'd been diagnosed with cancer in May of 2013. It also come right after, like, at that time anyway, my greatest career achievement, which had been working with Beyonce on the Super Bowl halftime show in New Orleans. Legendary. It was, it was just, I mean, there are stories about that. That'll be a, the next time I come. A friend of mine you. was a dancer in that show. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It was just, because I, I think people forget that she sang at President Obama's inauguration. And remember that she was like, almost beaten down because she used a backing track for the wind, you uh-huh. know, to, and people yeah. were saying that she couldn't sing. That's why she did it. Uh-huh. Who says that? Like, are you out of your mind? Have you, what? All the receipts this woman has 
And like she was a backing track and now she's gonna be Pam? Are you out of your and that was like a week before the Super Bowl. He had to get through all of that. Plus, the added pressure was that because of the ban on Janet Jackson, there'd been no black woman on the stage for 10 years. Beyonce was that one. She was like the holy crap. It was yeah, like yeah. the pressure of the whole moment. The inauguration, which was supposed to be an amazing, beautiful thing. People are coming at you because they're like, you can't sing. What? Crazy. And then you're literally sitting on the burden of carrying the weight of black women everywhere, our redemption. <laughs> you got to kill the entire performance because that's Super Bowl anyway. So it doesn't matter who you are. That performance is lots of pressure. So coming off a very emotionally corporately difficult time for me with highs and lows and then six months later my husband was diagnosed with cancer unfortunately neither of us were new to cancer because both of our mothers had battled breast cancer and at the time he was diagnosed my mother was going through her second bout actually so literally the world came crashing because it was like my mom was battling her her cancer and then he got sick um and it just felt it felt it just felt impossible. My daughter was four, and it was just like I don't understand how how this happens. But we went into like overdrive. It was like okay, you know, we're gonna make the T-shirts, we're gonna make the Facebook group, we're gonna have the prayer circles. Found the best oncologist, all the alternative treatments, everything, and then he died. Oh man! Even as I sit here talking to you, like it's still unbelievable to me. He was just he was just so big. His spirit was so big. It just it, it doesn't make any sense to me. We didn't plan our life for him to die. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable that that could happen. Wow. He passed away in December of 2013. So quickly after he got diagnosed. Yeah, six months. Six months after. Yeah, from his diagnosis to oh his death. Oh, my gosh. It was very, very quick. But in that process, the gift in it was that we really, I mean, and this is going to sound so trite, but I'm telling you, like, it's the way I live my life now, which is that every day matters. There is not one wasteful day. Every day. And everything you choose to do in the day matters. Because that's what we're faced with. At the time when the oncologist was like, okay, you guys are going to have to be very purposeful. Because guess what's going to happen? Tomorrow, he's going to wake up and something else is not going to work. So, you're going to have to decide today what you want to do. And then tomorrow when you wake up, see what's working and then do something again. Okay? And then the next day... And that's, that's why we lived. It, it was like, it was being under the most intense pressure, trying to prepare for the end, but oh trying to gosh. like live for today. It was just. There was no hope or they were not giving no, you like, no, there like, no there's hope. no chance. No. no. Oh they, my gosh. We tried. It was nine different chemos, all the radiation. Nothing worked. Nothing it just was working. It just get worse. And so by the time it was like October, in fact, October 25th, so anniversary coming up where it was, just, the college was just like, you know, nothing's going to work. And so you guys are going to have to decide what you want to do. Probably have about three weeks after that. Oh, my gosh. And we were stunned silence, like sitting there like, we don't understand what you're saying. You know, we just, we don't understand what you're saying. What was he like? What was he like in those moments where he oh. knew there was only a month or a few months left? And how did he handle that? And what did you <sighs> learn about yourself Man. watching his process? Yeah. Well, he, you know, it's, it's like so interesting because it's like, I actually haven't really thought about that. He vacillated between being super pissed, very angry about his diagnosis, about being robbed of his life. Mm. You know, he was not yet 44. Mm. We had, a, like I said, we had a four-year-old. We're living our best lives, right? 
And he was, he was really pissed, you know, to be robbed of it. And at the same time, and this is what makes it so complicated, is that, and also part of the blessing, which is that because the, because the oncologist, who, by the way, God bless her, she was like this little tiny sprite of a woman, you know, full of energy and like determination. <laughs> she did everything. She gave us all the options. But it was her message of like, just do everything. You know, whatever it is that you've wanted to do, do it. Like, don't wait. Like, there's no, don't come back here and hopefully, don't do that. Like, just just live it, you know? And so he vacillated between this anger. But then as it was coming true and as things were failing, his body started failing him, he was so urgent, you know, to, like, live. So it replaced the anger. I feel like it trained my muscles, on like living urgently, that there was no other option. We quickly realized that anger has no place. What are you going to be mad? Like, what are you going to do? You're going to be mad for what? You're going to sit there and be upset? And are you going to bicker over something stupid? We don't have time. <laughs> you don't have time. So now it's like, even, you know, it's, it's almost four years. And even now, like, when I get upset about something, it burns so quick. Listen, I used to be the master hoarder of anger and feelings. I would hold a grudge. <laughs> like, Years. Woo, yeah. man, I was a professional. But now my anger burns quickly because I just realized that it has, it has no purpose. It doesn't drive me to do anything better or greater or live any better. So I'm really trying, and I, I'm still working at it, but like I really do well, try to perfect. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And Come I'm on, shocking. Buzz. I know. I'm just shocking. What would you say is, um, you know, if you're willing to share one of the most beautiful moments that you guys had together in those last few weeks? Oh, man. There were so many, to be honest. November 9th was our anniversary of our first date. Mm. And so that November 9th, actually, like, posted on Facebook and whatnot because um, he was getting his chemo treatment because we hadn't yet, you know, we were still getting treatments, although... We were not staying at the hospital, but he would come in and out. And I was like sitting with, and he was a collector of fine wines, which again is part of the lesson, which was just like, what are we saving these bottles for? So we cracked open this like super expensive bottle, you know what (laughs) I mean? Uh, He obviously couldn't drink it. So I drank it by myself, (laughs) you know, just sitting on his hospital bed. He's like sitting there with the IVs and, you know, I was just looking at him and just like, of all the years, we'd been together 13 years, married for 10. Just remembering all of the things and remembering the small, stupid things that I was angry about or that I resented or that I wish had been better or da da da, you know? And um, I, we, we decided in that moment that we were going to confess everything that we'd ever harbored that we hadn't talked about. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. And it was... Was some crazy stuff that opened up for both of you? Yeah, because it was like so stupid and so little. Stuff that you were just like, I can't believe I'm so mad about this, but let me just tell you. You know what I mean? Because it felt like the unreleasing, you know, things. And it was probably one of the most beautiful gifts. Because again, the lesson was that, like, I just can't hold on to anger or little petty things, you know, or even the big things. If somebody does something to you and you're mad about it, like, you need to talk it through. You know, hold on to it. It was a beautiful thing because it was like our anniversary, Mm. which we always celebrated. We got married in June, but that was like our anniversary 
moment we probably celebrated bigger than our wedding. But it was just to think that, God, we don't have much time left and we've got to release everything that we've got. You know, just let it go. It also taught me a lot about relying on other people. Up until then, I felt pretty invincible, mm-hmm. pretty self-sustaining. Yeah. I was Wonder Woman, Wonder Mom, Wonder Executive, Wonder Everything, Wonder Wife, all that. And then you realize that you're truly powerless and that you've got to rely on other people for help. And that's not a sign of weakness, actually, yeah. to get help. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Which has also been great because I don't mind asking anybody to help me. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Nope. Now I'm just like, hey, listen. So I got the dry cleaning that I need you to pick oh, up. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like the little things and the big things. I'm not at all afraid. And that's why it's like even now when people are they're like, oh, my God, how do you do it all? I'm like, I don't do it all. Right. There's no pride in that. I don't find any pride in carrying it all yourself. Like, you think that makes you big and bad? No, it's going to kill you. (laughs) You know? So you you share that weight. Ask people for help. There's so much I want to continue asking you. We got about 15 minutes. Oh, how how is this possible? I want to see how much I can get in in 15 minutes. And thank you for sharing all that about the process and that experience because I know that's got to be probably one of the most challenging things that any human could ever go through. So... Thanks for sharing and opening up about that. Yeah. I wanted to get back to the Beats experience. Yes. Because I think there's so much of your life that is fascinating to understand. And, you know, after watching the uh, Defiant Ones, I'm just like, were you in that, by the way? I can't. Yes, I was. Okay. I'm sure there was a moment where I started just forgetting now because I didn't know about you until. I had different hair. Yeah. (laughs) Which was unbelievable, (laughs) the, the Defiant Ones. So I'm just curious how you got involved. It sounds like they snatched you up from Pepsi. Yes. Yes. What that journey was like. Yeah. And kind of like, you know, where you're at now. Yeah. In 15 minutes. In 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> I don't well, know. here's the thing. I mean, it really does connect because my after my husband passed away, almost three months later, and I was just in a vulnerable state, I needed something else to believe in. Of course. And by the way, make no bones about the fact that I love to work. I love my work. I love the things I do. I just need to find new purpose. Yeah. And yeah. he was saying all the right things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? He was, yeah. He was saying, because Pepsi was big and I was successful and could have stayed there another 20 years if I wanted to. But I met Jimmy. He reached out. He had some people find me. And I was already in LA for my sister's wedding. And so it, you know, I got the call, which was like, Jimmy Ivan would like you to come to his house. And I was like, oh, Word? For uh, what? Yeah. And I get to his house. And, and was Beats big by then, or was it much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was big. It was so, well known. It was- um, well, Beats Electronics was really big. Beats Music had been launched actually on my birthday, two months before that. So it was still new, very, very new. Jimmy was basically like, Hey, listen, I've had many turns in my career, I've been successful at all of them. All of them have been in music, and then now it's like this electronics thing. But he wanted his legacy to be, and Dre, and Trent Reznor, like all wanted to change the way, the trajectory of the music business. Because we all know that the value of the music itself was starting to be lost. Yes, and this was 2014? Yeah, this 2014. So the headphones were big. Headphones were big. Now they're doing the music stuff. Music service had just launched. Got it. But this is right, right around the time when like no one was buying yeah, no. Records anymore. No, it was just kind of like all streamed or free. Everything downloading. was free. Yeah, yeah. Everything was free. And so artists were no longer making music to sell. And they were like, how do I make money? Yeah, and they were on tour. Yeah. You know, and anyone will tell you that an artist on tour all the time exhausting. will kill you. It's you know, it's like freaking people are taking five years to make albums. Now you're churning out albums every like, two, three years. And then- I mean, it's like every year. So in any case, I really loved the message and the fact that because what he was talking about was in the future. 
And I was in an emotional place where I needed the future. Mm -hmm. You know, I needed something to grab onto that could pull me forward. And so quite honestly, (laughs) I simply went because nothing else anybody was talking about was about the future. And I was like, if I sit here and just wallow in this grief and like keep doing the things I've been doing, I won't survive. I needed something to just push me forward. So I said yes in that meeting. First time meeting him, he was like, you should just move out here and come work for me. Because yes. I lived in New York. Yes. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I go back to that house and I fly back to New York. And I'm like, ma. So and my mom had come through her battle and was healthy, was, was recovering. And I was like, so I quit my job at Pepsi and I'm going to move us to LA. And she was like, the hell you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, but thank God she's a trusting person. And she was like, okay, I'm coming with you because you're probably having a mental breakdown, which I probably was. But yeah, I moved, and I walked in with all the confidence of feeling like, okay, this is, this is going to be the savior for me, provide for my family, because I was also facing the tremendous pressure of thinking like, okay, now I've got a four-year-old that I've got to support single by mom, myself. Yeah, yeah. I had not planned on being a single mother. Right. That was not the agreement I made. And so I went in feeling like, okay, I'm going to make this work. And literally, it was like my first day, I signed the paperwork. They shut the door. Jimmy's like, come with me. I walk into the room. It's like, Dre, it's Trent. There's some people I don't know, but they look vaguely familiar. Now I know it's like Eddie Q and Tim Cook. He's like, so we're going to be acquired by Apple. Right then. And I'm like, what? Like the first day or first week? It was the first week. Wow. It was like day four or something. In the course of two months... After that, we were acquired by Apple. It was like transitioning, getting preparing for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. By June, we're sitting in the like Apple keynote and being announced that Apple is going to acquire Beats. Wow. And then we took the next year to build Apple Music and create a new brand. Wow. Which like, I can't express enough how important that moment of time was for me. I'm sure. To give me something else to look, to just keep propelling me forward. And that's really what, you know, it's like I've, I've talked to a lot of people now who, especially women who've gone through something like this, you know, lost their spouse. And the number one question is always like, how do you make it out of this period? And my advice is that like, listen, I don't know what's going to help you because grief is different for everyone. Right. Uh, but for me, I needed the future. I needed the future in order to pull myself out of the current grief. Right. Think of all the amazing things in life that are expressions of just you. For instance, the song you stream over and over again while you're in your 13th hour of gaming at 4 a.m. in the morning with all the lights off, trying not to wake up your roommates, or the recommendations that you share with your friends on the top six comedy podcasts that are the best to listen to on your way to the gym and back, or even your new haircut, which may or may not be an epic bowl cut from the 90s and hopefully is. Everything that makes you, you, makes all the difference. State Farm believes insurance should work the same way. Your plan, your coverage selections can be personalized by you and the ability to choose the plan that you want by picking the options that fit you, like choosing to bundle your home and auto policies, is what the State Farm Personal Price Plan is all about. Getting the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. 
Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal? To give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. Now, you know how much I emphasize the power of teams for your business. And ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. Their smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. My company, Greatness Media, is currently hiring, and in my opinion, finding the right team is one of the most important steps in setting your business up for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I'm grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help with my growing team. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And so that period of time, I'm always grateful for because it just meant that like I was, I was building, building towards something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so you were there for a few years. Yes. Three years, three and a half years. And then... And what, what was the biggest lesson you learned from Dre or Jimmy? The biggest lesson from Jimmy is like how he connects with people. Mm. You'll be in his office and you will feel like the most important person. Yeah. Every time. You know, he's that way with artists. They trust him, you know, implicitly. Not because like he's always made the right call, although he'll tell you he always made the right call. Uh, but because they, he cares. Yeah, he cares. Yeah. And yeah. He, I mean, he goes the extra mile. He'll make the phone calls. And he's urgent. If you're sitting in a meeting, you know how sometimes you're like in a meeting, people are like, yeah, so next steps are, let's... Uh, Get a meeting with this person, and we're going to... He's like, on the phone now. Every time... Don't ever go into a meeting with Jimmy and pretend like you're going to come out of there with like some next steps you got to do later. You better be on the phone, in the meeting, be like, actually, just give me one second. Let me call. Let's and just do this see. now. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and get the answer. And so the biggest lesson from him was about urgency. And then Dre, it's about maniacal focus. You know, like just the focus, the focus, the focus. Like, and knowing that you don't want anything to come out that you don't feel proud of. He does not care about your pressure or your timeline. <laughs> yeah, it took him, what, 10 years to do yeah, his album? Or whatever. Like, if it doesn't feel good, it's not coming out. You know how hard that is? That's difficult in the like face of so much pressure, outside pressures from everything. When you got some resources and money, you can yeah, be but more still, patient. But yeah, there's still, there's still pressure because yeah, you know course. people are making their living based on the thing you're going to produce. Expecting you something. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah there's disappointment from your fans mm-hmm. and from all kinds yeah, of people of who will talk about you, question your talent, Question your sanity, and you're sitting here like, mm, but the beat's not right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You know? Wow. And so you had a great experience there, Beats, yeah. and then you transitioned to Uber a few months ago, yes, right? Yes, three months Why ago. Why did that transition happen? Oh, Why not man. stay at Apple? And Yeah. Well, I definitely was on a trajectory at Apple. I'd done the keynote, which was great, and getting lots of praise for that. And then... Again, divine intervention. I met Ariana Huffington uh-huh. at a dinner. She's great. Oh, she's awesome. We've had her on a few times. Oh yeah, my she's god, great. I love her so much. And she's another person actually talking about lessons with people who also makes you feel like you're the most important mm, person. She does. She like does. she connects and she won't let go until you're done with a conversation. You know what I mean? She's great. It's, it's such a great thing. Any case, I was talking to her because she joined the board of Uber because of all the work I've done in pop culture and blah, blah, blah. And it, like Delete Uber had just happened when I met her. Oh, it did? Yeah, Elite it had Uber. just happened. Because of the, that's a whole other thing. Travel brand, the yeah, CEO, there's so many things. Yeah. But you wow. know, what was interesting to me was the fact that 
Uber didn't do anything differently than Lyft or anybody else. Everybody did the same thing. So why did Uber get painted with this like horrible brush? Yes, that's a branding problem. Yeah. The story they were telling. Yes. The stories that were happening. They weren't telling their own story. Everybody else was telling it for them. And so that's actually what I said to Ariana. We had a very philosophical conversation about brand marketing, what it meant. And then obviously, like we've been talking about the evidence of pop culture driving business or destroying it. Yeah. And me saying, I was just like, hey, listen, I'm like, freaking, I feel like I'm the foremost expert in this. Wow. I know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And she was like, do you mind like telling Travis this stuff? Like whatever you're telling? I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. When I have time. And so lo and behold, Saturday afternoon, she's like, come to my house. He's there for an hour, and I go in and I meet with him, and it turned into eight hours. Wow. We're just pontificating on the situation. And literally, I left there thinking, I think I have to go work there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my God. Am I actually going to do this? Like, I'm going to quit my job and go work here. And, like, I try to shake it. I liken it to, like, fall in love with the wrong guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Where you're just like, God, I really like him. You're right. You kind of felt like your time had passed at Apple or with Beats. No, 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 I I definitely had things to do. Yeah. But I just couldn't pass up the opportunity. I'd already been in this, like, amazing position to recreate or to create a brand, actually, from scratch because we created Apple Music from scratch, which in a marketer's world is... Mount Olympus. Yeah. It's like you have all the resources you need. You can ha- access anything. I mean, <laughs> you're living the life. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're good. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And the thought that like I could have the opportunity to have yet another brand on my record that says I did that. Like I, I did I that. I brought it back or I, yeah. It's just too sweet. Like I, could, I couldn't, I mm, couldn't. Tastes good. Yeah, man. Delicious. Mm, mm. And then plus, and I've been pretty open about this, which is that like I am unhappy with diversity and inclusion in Silicon Valley. Yeah. It is unacceptable. Yeah. And so... Well, it's like you're the only black person probably, right? I like, mean... Especially black put, woman, you know what I'm right? Saying? I'm like, there are lots of black people everywhere who are talented. Black women are currently the most educated group in the United States of America. Why can't they get jobs in Silicon Valley? Doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. So, if there's going to be a brand that's going to be vilified for its lack of diversity, which, by the way, the numbers are greater than most Silicon Valley companies, including some that I've worked for. Right, right. And people want to paint that as the scapegoat. Fine. Let's do that. Because once we can prove that all of these conditions that are being painted as like the horrible things that are happening in this company, and we can fix that, guess what's going to happen? going to come for the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, then I want every company in Silicon Valley. There will be no reason... Why anybody can't do it. If these folks who have been under the ground, vilified and beaten up for all of these horrible practices culturally, if they can rise from that, there is no reason why anybody else can't. And if there's anything that's, that I want to be my legacy at, for this time period in Silicon Valley, it's that. Now I've forgotten, like, okay, change the brand and create the brand. I'm going to do that because I do that well. I could do that, no problem. Sure, but sure. the real legacy needs to be breaking this cycle. Like, that, that has to be it. Like, I can't, I can't leave this and not have made a difference so that the pipeline is full of people who don't look anything like the people who are currently in Silicon Valley. Right, right. Well, you're doing it. You're amazing. This is awesome. We're going to do it. <laughs> 
Okay, this is the final three questions. Oh, gosh. Okay. Final three questions. I want to ask so and much like more, but... speed round? Or how, how does this uh, work? Yeah, I mean, no. Okay. Whatever, whatever opens up. It can be fast. It can be slow. Okay. It can be whatever, whatever makes sense. The first one is called The Three Truths. Mm. So I ask this to all my guests at the end of every episode. Yes. Imagine this is your last day many years from now. Mm-hmm. And you've accomplished everything you want. Mm. You've made all the change and impact in the world that you want to make mm-hmm. for your legacy. Mm-hmm. You've done whatever you want, personally, yeah. family-wise, yeah. whatever. Maybe. You've done it. Yes. Lived a full, rich life. Amen. But for whatever reason, all the information you put out there, your speeches, the books you write, whatever it may be, they're all erased from time. Mm. So all people have is this piece of paper that you're about to write down yes. three things you know to be true. And you're going to write down three <laughs> things you know to be true, and that's all that you, the world can have to remember ah. you by. What would you say are your three truths or three lessons that you would yeah. share with the world? Okay. Well, maybe that's a little unfair because I actually just you gave <laughs> yeah, I, I just gave a speech yesterday for Forbes under 30 summit. Great. Where I talk about my five truths. Perfect. So top three. Okay, top now see now. <laughs> see, why you gotta do that? Okay, top three. Well, I've talked a lot about it. So one is to follow your gut. It will never steer you wrong. Like don't make the lists, the pros and cons and weigh it out. Because the only reason we do those things is because we're trying to talk ourselves into something we know we shouldn't do. <laughs> That's the only reason you do the list, you know, because you're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to rationalize to yeah. myself. But it's like your gut told you don't do that thing. Right. And right. you writing down a list as to why you should. That's one. Two, bring your whole self to every situation, whether it's work or relationship or whatever else. Bring your whole self, right? Because I think especially in work and it's in corporate life, particularly, we always feel like we need to hide part of it because the evidence of what is successful most of the time looks nothing like us. And I'm not saying us as in black women. I'm just us in general, anybody. You know, there's a very slim definition of what success is supposed to be and what it looks like. So we often shave the sides of ourselves that are not that thing if it doesn't benefit any of us. You know, and isn't the world so much more bright and colorful and amazing if we were to bring all of us and our whole thing to the work. And then the third, mm, the the last one, to be kind, be kind to ourselves and to other people. I explained about that moment on the bed with, you know, my husband on our anniversary where it's like, you know, I just wish I'd been more kind Mm. to him and to myself in the process of our relationship. So be kind. Yeah. Those are great truths. Those are great truths. <laughs> I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Bose, for your yeah. incredible uniqueness and your voice and for making an impact on so many people by breaking barriers, by standing up for what you believe in, following your intuition and showing other people what's possible for their life. I think it's unbelievable the example you're setting on how we should all be living our lives. So thank you for thank showing you. up powerfully oh. and fully and as yourself. Don't make yeah. me cry because yeah. I cry easy. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, before I ask the final question, yes. where can we connect with you online or how can we oh, support right. your mission or yes. anything that we want us to be aware of? Where do, you, where do you hang out the most on social media? And uh, yes, website? I hang out on social media, mostly on Instagram, Badass Bose. Badass Bose. Correct. B-O-Z. That's correct. Yes. And on Twitter, same name. That's mostly where I share anything, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been told I overshare. Got I don't it. care. Got it. You'll find me like living my truths, 
Great. Or in a bikini. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Open for all to see. <laughs> no problem. That's where I am. Cool, cool. Awesome. Is there anything you'd like us to take action on? Yeah. I, I want everyone to cheerlead this moment in time for what I'm doing in Silicon Valley. I think there are enough people who point fingers and say that there's something wrong. There's not enough people applauding the small wins. And that's what we need, encouragement. Because when you have encouragement, then other people feel emboldened to help. Yeah. When there's so much finger pointing and bad sort of stories and people downing it, then no one wants to help. So I would ask that people help in that they encourage. I recognize that the company and some of the actions are not always positive, but let's applaud the good things. Let's be loud about that. As loud as we are when it's negative. Right. That's great. That's great. The final question is, what's your definition of greatness? Definition of greatness. Oh, my God. That is such a hard question. (laughs) Jesus, Lord on high, Father God, help me. My definition of greatness. It's like living at 100%, the totality of things, that whole circle unbroken. There's so much power in that. It's like, have you ever tried to squeeze a circle and try to break it? You really can't because it's like the pressure is on every side. You know, you can break a stick. We can't break a circle. You try to apply pressure to it. And I feel like the same thing is for our lives. If you like are living your whole complete truth, the whole completeness of yourself, you can't break. I'm not going to break because I'm living my whole circle. That's great. <laughs> Bose, you're amazing. I'm so thank glad you. we got to connect. Oh my thank you God, very much. This is so awesome. You're like a sister now, so thanks ah, for being you, on. This is what I'm telling you. We're, we're like, we're, we're in, in love. We're connected. I mean, this we're so connected. Great. This is so great. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you and very much. We're going to go back to Ghana together. I'm in. I'm saying that now. My tension is it. in the air. Let's do it. Seriously. I'm going to come build a school with me. Yes. Let's do it. A girls' academy. Okay. Okay. Well, I work with Pencil Promise, and they build okay. schools their own way, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's no, do it with an organization. Listen, yeah, yeah. I'm down for it. Yeah, yeah. We're doing it. I'm in. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Cool. Buzz, thank you. you. Appreciate you. Thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> this is great. This is awesome. There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this one. If you did. Make sure to share it with your friends on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook. Take a screenshot of this podcast right now and tag me at Lewis Howes and tag Bozma, lewishowes.com slash 559. Go ahead and put that link out there online. If you go there, you'll see the full video interview over on YouTube on the show notes and all the other resources that we talked about. Make sure to dive into Bozma's world and learn more about her. She's a powerful human and I really enjoyed this interview. There you have it, guys. Again, if you enjoyed this, make sure to let me know. Send me some love on social media and tag Bozma as well because she is doing some amazing things in the world. The resource link for this is lewishouse.com slash 559. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. all the video call fails by now the mute button mishaps the cat cameos people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off but none of this makes fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy bitsy baby duck how do i turn this thing off it's too late fred it's too late (laughs) 
when you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.